first reading can be found on page 868 in the Church Bibles. It's Ezekiel chapter 37, reading from verses 1 to 10. The Valley of Dry Bones. <clears throat> the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out of the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me to and fro among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He'd asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendon to you, and make flesh come upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared in them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophecy to the breath, prophecy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says Come, breathe from, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please can I invite you to stand as Sandra brings our gospel reading this morning. The gospel reading can be found on page 1025. And I'm reading from verses, chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what type of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Loving God, we thank you for your word to us. Uh, may it be life and breath to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please do be seated. So you might think it's a bit early for a, a nativity 
uh, reading this morning, um, but it's, it's all to do uh, with, uh, we've been thinking, well, we thought, began to think two weeks ago about what it means to be human, and we've been thinking about in the, that in the context of mind, body, spirit, and, uh, and today we're thinking about what it means to be human and what it means to be uh, bodily. Uh, so the, the story of uh, Jesus is very pertinent to that. So uh, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about how people have understood uh, being human, what it means to be human um, over history. We kind of talked a bit about uh, the fact that we've, in the West particularly, moved from a more holistic understanding of uh, what it means to be human, uh, where we're all integrated and uh, every kind of part of us is a bit more sort of um, connected. Um, We've moved from that to, in the West, a more compartmentalized understanding where it's easy to think of ourselves as mind, body, spirit and have those things slightly separated in our minds. And we saw that actually that story um, also follows through the story of Scripture and where humanity has been on its own journey uh, through time. Uh, Neither of these ways of understanding um, what it means to be human, that sort of compartmentalized or holistic ways, are necessarily right or wrong. Um, They're just ways in which we have found to articulate ourselves and what it means to be human. Um, But if you were here when we talked a bit about uh, the mind, um, you will remember that there are perhaps some potholes uh, to avoid when it comes to that compartmentalized understanding of ourselves. We talked a bit about uh, how over history the mind had sort of become the entire place where we thought our existence kind of sat. Um, And so there was a kind of, you know, the better your mind, the better a person you were. And that's a danger to avoid. It's not a Christian way of thinking. But today we're thinking about what it means for us to be bodily, to be bodied. Um, Now, bodies are very, very important in the Christian faith. They're a real kind of fundamental part of what it means to be a Christian, uh, to who we are. And I think it's important for us to know and to hear that God likes bodies. Um, Often we are bombarded, aren't we, in our life now uh, with images of bodies. Um, And we're taught sometimes to dislike either bodies in general Um, or our own body in a particular way. I was listening to uh, the Sunday program this morning on on Radio 4, and uh, the Bishop of Gloucester, uh, Rachel Treweek, who used to be our archdeacon here um, in this area, so we've got a soft spot for her. Um, She was on the radio because she is um, looking at helping particularly young women um, to be able to uh, think healthily about their body image. And what was interesting is that, of course, when we're thinking about that connectedness, what she was saying is that, uh, you know, there were very much uh, connections between a, a, 
a sort of poor body image in these young women and poor mental health. Um, and we're, we're just so often bombarded with this idea that somehow bodies are bad. But God likes bodies, all of them. And uh, God's intention for us is to remain bodily. You know, none of that airy-fairy, you know, floaty in the clouds image that we often have of, uh, in our heads of what our end goal is. God's intention is for us to remain bodily. And there are glimpses throughout scripture of this kind of God, this God who likes bodies. You know, so we can begin at the beginning of scripture in Genesis uh, with God creating a body. Uh, out of the stuff of creation, tenderly forming the dustling from the dust, creating a human person who will become two human people, male and female. God kisses the body to life breathing life into the body. In this picture, there is no life without the body in that sense. And like a spark uh, which catches fire, uh, this kiss from God lights up the whole. And God's intimate relationship with bodies continues throughout the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament as we see that God often shows up in their world in a kind of human form. You know, whenever you read in Scripture the words, the angel of the Lord, uh, this is a way of saying not just this is one of God's many angels, but that God has appeared. So God appears to Abraham as the angel of the Lord. Um, And there's human form in that, often appearing like a man. And then we get to this wonderful text in Ezekiel, which Louise read to us, where God does not just create a human being, um, a new human being, or turn up in human form, But there's now this indication that God can bring dry, dead bones to life. That long, dead bones can receive sinew and flesh and breath and life. This is one of the places in the Hebrew scriptures where the concept of a bodily resurrection is glimpsed. This idea that God is not letting bodies go. That bodies are not incidental uh, to being God's creatures. Our bodies are part of the whole of what it means to be human. We cannot be human without being bodily. These bodies that we have are how we experience 
and understand our world. You can see it when babies are born. You know, they, they have to touch stuff to understand. You know, it's not, it's not a mind thing with babies. They're exploring their world. Bodies are really important in that way. So they are how we experience and understand our world and God and who we are and other people. Uh, They're not simply a way in which we carry our brains around. They're how we figure out who we are and who we are not. And that's quite important for us as humans. Often we're, we're defining ourselves by who you are. So you are this and I am this and I know who I am because I know I'm not you. We're not all just a kind of blob of um, in, you know, non-distinct people. We discover ourselves by knowing who we are through those boundaries of our bodies. You know, that, that whole thing of human touch is very important in knowing where I end and where you begin. Um, and I think about that when we do in our all-age service, where, when we do the peace in that particular way and we hold each other's hands. Um, and and uh, sometimes I do that in a residential home that I go to and I think, gosh, you know, I wonder... You know, they will have been, you know, they will have experienced human touch throughout the week, but actually there's something in that intentional being touched and sort of understood in that touch that's quite special. So God will not let bodies go. He thinks they were a good idea. Um, But there is this idea, as in Ezekiel, that God can and will bring dead things back to life. And we kind of understand that a bit now because we're at this point of our sort of Christian history. You know, we know that that's what we believe. But this was a real revelation. Um, And this idea of resurrection begins to take form and gain momentum. But it's not simply a future thing sort of pushed out into a time ahead of us. You know, we do believe as Christians that we will be bodily resurrected, transformed. But there are glimpses of that resurrection here and now, too. Um, Because I think often, maybe not often, sometimes, at least at some points in your lives, you will have experienced the feeling of parts of you or seasons of your life feeling like death. You know, sometimes we have those moments where we feel like dry, dead bones, in the valley, whether it's the loss of a job or the loss 
of the ability to live life like we once lived it. We experience a bereavement. We have a change of situation of our life which leaves us feeling winded in some way. Those places or seasons of life where we really do feel like we're in need of resurrection. When we jump forward from Ezekiel's prophecy about the potential of this bodily resurrection uh, to the reality that we know in Jesus' resurrection, we have a hope, ultimately, for our own bodily resurrection in the future of God's kingdom. We also know that this gives us hope for now for those little resurrections in our lives lived here and now. Through those little deaths that we all experience as part of life. So we come back a little bit now and think about that passage which Sandra read us from Luke. Before the resurrection of Jesus, we have the incarnation, which literally means being in flesh. It's very, you know, earthy, that stuff about Jesus. God being born as a human being. And this is the ultimate trajectory from that beginning story of God with bodies, with human beings. And this is where it was going to end up. The God who has a special place for bodies was always going to come in a body. It makes sense. It wasn't enough for this God uh, to make the bodies, to come like a human being. But God was always going to come. It just makes sense like this. God choosing to become fully human. It's radical. There's no other God like this. It's comforting and it's affirming of us. We have a God who knows what it is like to be human, to experience the highs and the lows of what that means, to experience the heart-rushing terror of being born into a world which is harsh and unforgiving to newborns, to receive milk from his mother, to cut his knee, to make friends, to experience rejection, to wonder who he is, to get lost in the crowd, to work, to be tired, to be hungry, to be happy, to laugh, to be hurt, 
to make decisions that affect other people, to be angry, to heal, to love, to seek justice, to experience the death of a loved one, to be betrayed, to die, to be resurrected. Those are all things that human beings do. Jesus is just the first one of us to experience that eternal resurrection. And in these things is what it means to be human, what it means to be in bodies, what it means to be made in the image of God. Because that's astonishing, that God looks like a human being. What does that mean? It means that bodies matter. That we have hope for resurrection in the next life, but also in this life. It means that we have a responsibility to see others around us as those made in the image of God. It means that we can't look at the refugees dying day in and day out, or the suffering in Aleppo, or the poverty in our own town, or our struggling neighbor, whoever that is and why ever they are struggling, and uh, be indifferent to that. It means that we have hope for resurrection in these dire situations. And that we might be called, not into every situation, but into some of those situations, to be the hands and feet of Jesus bringing about that resurrection for others. God will not let bodies go because God still has a body transformed, yes, but still with the scars of this life, the scars of crucifixion. There's continuity between this life and the next life, and it's carried in our bodies. The scars show that every good thing that we are and do in this life will remain into the next. And that the resurrection of our bodies uh, begins now. I'm going to show you a video now. It's about four minutes long. It's loud, so it'll wake you up. Um, it's, a, it's an Easter video about resurrection. And it's just kind of drawing on that sense that there is stuff in the here and now which will remain in the next life.
Jesus is standing in front of the temple in Jerusalem, this massive, gleaming brick and stone and gold house of God. And he says, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. The people listening to him say, how are you ever going to do that? It took 46 years to build this temple. But he wasn't talking about that temple. He's talking about himself. He essentially says, I'm going to be killed. And that's where this is headed. Because you don't confront corrupt systems of power without paying for it. Sometimes with your own blood. And so he's headed to his execution. If you had witnessed this divine life extinguished on a cross, how would you not be overwhelmed with despair? Is the world ultimately a cold, hard, dead place? Does death have the last word? Is it truly, honestly, actually dark? And so whatever light we do see, whatever good we do stumble upon, are those just blips on the radar, momentary interruptions in an otherwise meaningless existence, because if that's the case, then despair is the only reasonable response. It's easy to be cynical. But Jesus says, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it. He says that his execution would not be the end. He's talking about something new and unexpected happening after his death. He's talking about resurrection. Resurrection announces that God has not given up on the world because this world matters. This world that we call home. Dirt and blood and sweat and skin and light and water. This world that God is redeeming and restoring and renewing. Greed and violence and abuse, they are not right and they cannot last because they belong to death and death does not belong. Resurrection says that what we do with our lives matters in this body, the one that we inhabit right now. So every act of compassion matters. Every work of art that celebrates the good and the true matters. Every fair and honest act of business and trade, every kind word. They all belong and they will all go on in God's good world. Nothing will be forgotten. Nothing will be wasted. It all has its place. Everybody believes something. Everybody believes somebody. Jesus invites us to trust resurrection. That every glimmer of good, every hint of hope, every impulse that elevates the soul is a sign, a taste, a glimpse of how things actually are and how things ultimately will be. Resurrection affirms this life and the next as a seamless reality, embraced, graced, and saved by God. There is an unexpected, mysterious presence who meets each of us in our lowest moments when we have no strength, when we have nothing left and we can't go on. We hear the voice that speaks those words, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it. Do you believe this? That's the question Jesus asked then and that's the question he asked now. Jesus' friends arrive at his tomb and they're told he isn't here. Well, you didn't see that coming, did you? He isn't here and there's nothing left to fear and nothing can ever be the same again. We are living in a world in the midst of rescue with endless unexpected possibilities. They will take my life and I will die, Jesus says, but that will not be the end. And when you find yourself assuming that it's over, that it's lost, gone, broken, and it could never be put back together again, when it's been destroyed and you swear that it could never be rebuilt, hold on a minute because in that moment things will in fact have just begun. Resurrection announces 
that God has not given up on the world because this world matters. Dirt and blood and sweat and skin. This world that God is redeeming and restoring and renewing. We are living in a world in the midst of rescue with endless unexpected possibilities. So may you know yourselves in the process of resurrection. May you know the scars that you bear, visible and invisible, as those things which are also being redeemed. And may you know that you are the hands and feet of God on this earth to those who need Jesus. Amen.